Turn these up here and see where we're at. We're rolling. We're recording. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we are happy to welcome you into that conversation today. So (laughs) here's this book I got. This was so amazing. So the week started off, I I sent you a text about I had a question or something, and you responded. And then I sent you this uh, podcast uh, reference that was on the Bible Project that they had. They're doing a series on the parables, by the way, which are amazing. They said they started out saying, you know, they they all talk about how to read the Bible, which is it's just the most incredible group of guys. I can't believe the research they've done from the area of the country they're in, the most liberal area in the world, uh, up in Portland area. These guys are talking about the parables, but but they're like, you have to read these for the way they were written, and why were they written that way? And they're not necessarily trying to teach us in our society today how to live moral lives or good lives. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But their whole purpose is what they show us. They said Jesus was coming to bring the kingdom of God, to preach the kingdom. And these parables are all about... What does this tell us about Jesus and about the kingdom? I mean, it was to change the world upside down. Mm. And so that's the, and in the Hebrew culture and where the people were at at the time, that's, that was the purpose of the parables. And I just thought that's, that's so cool. And so they start to go through the parables and, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, sell all that you have and, and, you know, I've done all these things there, you know, we try to make a moral thing. Like what in your life are you hanging on to, you know, yeah, you, right. you think you've get, but the whole thing was like, this is talking about the kingdom. What is this telling us about the kingdom of God? And why was it, why was it cloaked? Why did he, why didn't he just say what he needed to say? That's why I always ask God, like he, why didn't God just come out and say, Mike, there's going to be days when you really screw up and, you know, you think a lustful thought or you, uh, you know, all you're thinking about is what you're cooking for dinner that night and you haven't prayed to me during the day. And, but that doesn't mean you're not a Christian, you know, you're, you're still going to be in my kingdom. What that, you know, why does he need ever just come out that clearly, but he doesn't, but he doesn't, you know, and so it leaves all these questions in your mind, mm-hmm. at least from the culture I grew up in. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if people are ignorantly bliss in other churches or, Maybe they're on the right track, and we've made things too difficult. I don't know, but so anyway, I so <laughs> I totally get up. So I sent you that podcast, right? And then as I'm listening to the podcast throughout the week, you're you're sending me these little nuggets where you wake up and you're like, "Hey," or uh, you know, check this scripture out, or I was thinking about this. I know, and the last one came at three in the morning today. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, in the middle of their parables, they stopped and they had this guest speaker, which they do from time to time, come on and talk about. Um, what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Mm. And you and I have, have touched on that, mm. you know, the Ten Commandments. And mm. and we've grown up thinking, you know, don't take God's three-letter word and put a four-letter word with it, you know, don't don't swear, don't cuss. Right. But, oh, my gosh, so this, this, this lady that came on, these guys all actually met in college, you know, Tim Mackey and, and his partner, John, that do the Bible Project videos. Uh, what's cool about this book is you read it, 
he said, this is the first time if you go to the appendix. And Mike is holding an actual book in his hands for yeah, a tech, I, technical Mike who only has a Kindle. <laughs> He's I, smelling the book. I woke up at 5.30 just to have about 30 minutes of smell time <laughs> with the new pages. <laughs> oh, they smell delicious, Corey. <laughs> so you go in the appendix and um, there's these little QR codes. QR codes, yeah. is that what they're called? So she made this. So like as you're reading this book, when something pertains to the Old Testament or the Bible or something, the Bible project, you just scan it with your phone and you can go watch the video in the middle of the book. That's awesome. And that's the first yeah. time I've seen that. Tim Mackey was like, I haven't seen this technology integrated into a paper book before, right. but it's pretty cool. Right. So anyway, I'm thinking about taking taking the Lord's name in vain, went in, went on to be, what does God really mean by that? And just to read the preface of this, because this goes with everything. You were sending me stuff during the week, and I'm hearing the same thing in this book. Mm. So I bought the book. But this is a like a little review of the book. It says, this lady refuses to divide the Bible into a simplistic uh, dichotomy of rigid law, which we usually think of the Old Testament, and abounding grace. Her goal is to highlight the continuity of, between Mount Sinai and Calvary, mm. between the lawgiver Moses and the grace dispenser Jesus. And she goes on to show how it's not that we throw the Old Testament away, but that, that God of grace was from the beginning. And and uh, she wrote her doctorate thesis on this and then later came out with a book. She said this was actually more fun to write because it was real plain and simple for, for you know, silly people like me who need the dumbed-down version Um so I'm looking forward to reading the book. It's called Bearing God's Name. So they get into what does it mean to to take uh, the Lord's name in vain? What does it mean to take on the name of Christ? And what does it mean to be called by the name of God? And mm-hmm. it goes all the way back to Mount Sinai. So anyway, that brought up a whole line of thinking. Mm. You know, it's it's funny because we didn't talk about the, what does it mean to take on the name of Christ. And so this morning when uh, you got that early text and I was wide awake, I, I uh, start— No, no, no. 2.30 in the morning. So, so I, 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 we just got a brand new comforter from Costco. So it was like the temperature was wrong in the room. You, you know, weren't I was, awake then, I was so you? high and I was tossing and turning, you know, and all of a sudden I hear ding. No way, and because I, you're not supposed to get those because you have that well, bedtime mode. I know, I and it's know. Not, that's why the only, if I'm, I wasn't sending that to wake you up. If I'm waking you up, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I know you were, but <coughs> I left, <coughs> I'm choking. I left the iPad on standing up and, oh. it, and so it was the ipad that beeped oh i'm sorry so i kind of my squinty eyes without oh, my glasses no. like who's this from that was not that? intended no no no, that's fine but anyhow i was reading it's funny you say that not funny but here, <laughs> here it is in the podcast uh yeah that so in the end of king benjamin's uh speech in the first three chapters of mosiah he finally concludes with he said i'm going to give you a name and so i was mm-hmm. reading in a different book about the hebrew and, and the fact that in the Hebrew, the names weren't just nouns, you know, or, or however even a name is it, but they, they again reflected character. We talked about how we were made in the image of God and how the real tr- best translation in English is the word, hey, we were made in God's character, right? Mm. But, but that names in the Hebrew often reflected character. Uh, in fact, there's a funny name. There was a guy who, uh, who fell out of the loft when, when Jesus was there and, and he dies and, and he's like, you know, healed and he's awake again. His name in English would translate to fortunate. You know, this guy's fortunate. Fortunate. Yeah. But, but so the, the, the thing about this is when someone gave you a name in the, in the Hebrew, 
It also reflected that person who gave the name had lordship over you or has lordship over you. And it's interesting that when we when we say we take on the name of Christ, we're saying, Lord, I, I want you to have lordship over me by the fact that I'm taking your name. That's the first thing that happens in the book of Daniel when, you know, we, we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they were Daniel's friends in this Shadrach, Meshach, whatever they were. <laughs> Benny. Benny, right. They were... They were like Mishael and, and the other names. The, yeah. They were Gentile names that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a bad guy like King Noah, right? He was uh, he was the Gentile king who wanted to have lordship over these Hebrews. So he says, oh, I'm going to give you a new name. And and so that's just how they did it. You know, even I, I remember years ago back when there was some like <clears throat> kidnappings <clears throat> going on in the 70s, you know, going way back when I was a kid. And this... Uh, and what you would hear is that, you know, these people who are, I don't know, just kind of whacked out. I don't even want to really go there in the podcast at all. Just to say that the first thing when they would, these cult groups would, would go do bad things is they would recruit these people and then they give them new names and they give them different names because they wanted to show, hey, I'm Lord over you now, you know, in in that way. And that's so our names, our names uh, are impactful and especially in the Hebrew that the the idea of taking on the name of Christ was the whole conclusion of everything King Benjamin tells this people that are learning about Christ. He said, you're not only going to learn about him, you're going to take on his name. You're going to have his character now because he's, he's sent a spirit and your heart's changed. Those, um, those phrases like um, in Christ, um, believe in, we've talked about some of those before, those, there's really a, a wide area of uh, interpretation <clears throat> when you read those scriptures. Even that one you sent me this morning from Ether. Um, I don't know if you have that. Otherwise, I have it on my, uh, if you want to read that. Well, I probably got to preface it, though, for a minute. Um, oh, I, I got through the, It's you don't want that text. That's the one about how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking through. <laughs> no, but. Um, oh, here it is. I got it. Are you, you no, wanna, go ahead. Well, so you, this is the one you sent this morning. So whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God. Now, I I want to hope for that, but the catch to me always is believeth in God. And what does that phrase mean, believeth in God? What did it mean to the... Well, here's here's the thing. You know, I, th- th- we might have to preface this, Mike, because you and I have this conversation a lot, and I don't know how much of it's ever really been recorded. But they plugged their ears. I'm going to scoot my chair here. Yeah, but but you um, you and I have this conversation sometimes, and I I don't know, Mike. Do you want to lay down on the couch a little bit for <laughs> a minute and just say what what is the what is in your mind? What is the what is the conflict or what is the the sure. the, the, the stumbling block, the hurdle, the issue? Hmm. Um. Well, part of it is probably the culture of like what I've grown up in. Um, so there's phrases like believe in Christ. Um, well, okay, so let's try to make this as simple as possible, as wide, 30,000-foot view. <clears throat> if you're a Christian and you've been trans, – we know we're supposed to be transformed. And I know that doesn't mean we don't have struggles, but I guess in my mind, I think even when we have struggles in this life, even when we fight against temptation, if you're a Christian and truly transformed, you should, I guess I picture people feeling pain and such, struggling with pain and struggling with sorrow because that's part of being human, but at the same time having this, just this fiery 
I can't wait to be with Jesus, compassion and love for others. And, you know, the only thing I want is to sit under a tree with Jesus for, you know, a hundred years and talk to him and just be in his presence. And that's all I care about. That's what I picture a transformed person being. And yet most days I'm lucky if I go out to work and make it home without wanting to punch somebody in the throat for doing something to cut me off or whatever. You know what it is. I mean, you get, I don't feel that charity for my fellow, now in my better moments, I do, but not, not all the time. So there's a struggle there. And I don't know if that means I'm not saved or if that means as part of the human experience. And so you have to really look at some of these scriptures that talk about our eternal well-being and figure out, you know, am I on the right course or not? You know, what do they mean? Have I just skipped over something? Because we can take it now all the way down as simple as, you know, well, believe in Christ and you're saved. And yeah, I believe he came and he existed and that, that means I'm saved. But that's not what we believe. That belief has to transform you. Right. I was watching a YouTube video just yesterday and I was curious about people who were called street <clears throat> preachers and what their you know, who they were and what they did and why they did it. And, uh, you know, just to go out on the, on a street corner, or even I saw a guy stand in front of Costco as people were lined up with their masks, ready to go in the store. And he's, he's got his little, you know, uh, foldable pulpit thing. And he stands up on it and he starts, you know, telling people about Jesus, or whatever. But in that, in one of these videos, I'm, I'm recalling a guy who was in some inner city area and there's a group of people heckling him around him, but he's just telling them, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, you need Jesus. Who wants to come to Jesus right now and be saved? Come on, you can be saved right now. Come here. And it's, it's just like, all he wanted to do was have them say, I believe in Jesus and then go off their way. Okay, you're saved now. You know, and it was kind of like, it, it, and not everyone's like that, but this this person was kind of, that was their interpretation of the gospel. Probably. Like, you think that that makes, you think that makes them feel better? Like they're doing something they're called to do? Yeah, and, yeah. And but I'm, without really... Are they seriously concerned for every person or not? I, I you know? think it's I think it's because they're so concerned. But I also believe that it's out of this genuine belief on the preacher's part that salvation is that that easy. That's what it is. You just have to say it, and then, come on, just say it. And because he's literally, I, don't, I wouldn't even want to share the video on the podcast. There was a lot of negative stuff going on there too. But this this I he was just calling out to these people who were um, of all sorts of walks and ways in life and everything. And most people were, were, you know, not even, um, you know, you know, atheist, agnostic, whatever was were probably gentle uh, terms for mm -hmm. some of these people. But the point is he's, he's telling these people, you know, like one person, he singles out this one guy goes, come on, I want you to be saved. Come be saved right now. And it's like, just say you, you know, confess, you believe in Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Well, the guy didn't do it. So he didn't really actually demonstrate what that meant. But the fact what this misses, and this is why the Book of Mormon is just so enlightening, is because salvation comes back to a change of heart. It isn't just this moment, hey, I met this guy on the street, and he said, I'm saved, and look, I got this little Bible now, and you know, now I'm going on my way, and mm -hmm. nothing's really changing me. But at the same time, Mike, when you're talking, and so I think, I think what that misses is the change of heart. There's, there's got to be a desire to change, or, or you know, an, an inner sense of urgency, a desire, an inner need to want this new life in Christ, not just, well, he said, I just have to say this prayer and I did it. Right. But so at the other hand, I think Mike, sometimes when we talk about these things, <clears throat> you know, we're living in a fallen world. And I think the things you and I both experience in that when we feel falling short or like we're backsliding a little bit, 
is the effects of a fallen world. Um, I don't know anyone who's mastered this life perfectly who doesn't have you know moments like that from time to time. But what I do find is interesting, the same idea, the name, when King Benjamin tells these people, this is the name I'm going to give you, he says something pretty interesting. He says, if you're not called by the name of Christ, you're called by some other name. And again, it's the left hand or the right hand. The fact that you're either a child of Christ or you're not. You're, you know, and, and he says, um, now it shall come to pass that whosoever shall not take upon them the name of Christ must be called by some other name. Wherefore, he findeth himself on the left hand of God. So the thing I come back to in the Book of Mormon is realizing there's no in-between with any of this. Either, either we're a child of Christ, we're called by his name, or we're not. Now, does that necessarily mean that we've reached perfection in this life? And there's the difference. So where's the, where's the dividing mm. line? Remember that word, perfection. I don't want to mess your, your no, train No, 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 no. Go ahead. Well, my friend Dave sent me um, a link. You know, for our listeners, Corey said, just run the tape this morning. We've been talking enough this week. And I thought, oh, I'm not prepared to talk about the topic. He's like, we're not prepared. You talk about it all the time. <laughs> so, uh, but there's a, several of us that are in a, a chat, a texting, and, and some weeks it's busier than others. Some weeks it's not. But this week, it's gone around, and uh, my friend Dave sent me a link to a podcast, and I listened to it, and I love this preacher. I think his name's Alistair Begg. Yeah, Alistair, he's good. Um, wow. He's part of that evangelical reawakening or revival that's going on where people are preaching against this, say, the sinner's prayer. They're saying, no, you have to be changed and transformed on the inside, um, and it's really cool. But he sent me a link, and it's a two-part series on— um, being in Christ, taking on the name of Christ or being in Christ. And that's what got me thinking about what does that mean? And so he's preaching, but at one point that word perfection comes up, he says, we can't be perfect, but what perfection is, is this striving like you're saying. And I thought, now hang on. And I went back to some earlier things and I, I want to at some point bring this up and I've got it here. I've got the side by side uh, translation of the King James version versus the inspired version. And I think this really goes to the heart of a culture that we've grown up in. And maybe we've taken some corrections that Joseph made and maybe taken them in a direction that wasn't intended or, um, you know, maybe he changed it to, to help our mind understand that this is really where you need to get to, but not necessarily, for instance, like the King James version of the Lord's prayer was changed to say, lead us not into temptation, to suffer us not to be led into temptation, right? Mm -hmm. But then you read the Book of Mormon, and it's the original Hebrew, the same as the King James Version, and people say, oh, you know, maybe the printer just saw it and put it in the way it was supposed to be, but I don't think so. I think I think that was probably the language, and they understood that, but hey, Corey, bring up what, we, we'll get a circle back, but bring up what you sent me this week, or talk to the Pope and what he said about the Lord's Prayer, because that was interesting, and that's modern day. Yeah, so you can just, uh, there's, you probably find a half a dozen articles. A recent pope, and even other people in time, even back to King Henry VIII, have been quoted as saying specifically, the Lord's Prayer, where it says, lead us not into temptation, should be translated to read, suffer us not to be led, exactly as the inspired version book of Matthew says. The Pope says this, other people have said this over time. And so if you just 
Google search Pope and suffer us not to be led. You'll find two or three of these links. So the point though is the lead us not into temptation was a Hebrewism, which to the Hebrews that totally came with the understanding that it isn't that God's leading us there. It means don't allow us to be led. And so when it's read, read that way in the Book of Mormon, that's because that was just the language of the Nephites and it's translated that way. But the implication was and is always that way. So it wasn't that there was a mistranslation and it got switched around. It was, that's the way it was written, but, but our English language has changed. Our way that we look at words has changed. And so Joseph was taking something and making it more simple for us to understand, I guess, in our language. Right, but which is perfectly perfectly fine because it's just explaining it in our culture. Mm-hmm. One of these things, and we've talked about this too, and I, I don't want it, this to get us off track, but the fact that a lot of the things we argue, usually in the New Testament over, are things that went from the Hebrew to Aramaic to Greek to English and trying to retain the, the same understanding, um, it's, it's not always there. And so we argue like this idea that, God is one. Well, we talked about this before in our English culture. We want this to mean, oh, he's one entity. But no, in the Hebrew, the meaning was and totally is he was one in purpose. He's unified. It's a totally different idea. Right. But anyhow. So one of my favorite podcast episodes was that one. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, oh, I got something else I got to tell you, but let's not finish this. Uh, let's finish up this other first. You can go. I, I, I no, got my we, finger on the verse. So go we'll read, read your verse, and I'm going to come back to the other later. <laughs> read your silly little verse. And we'll go. <laughs> no, no. No, no. I'm just kidding. So I brought that example of the King James Version up to say when, when, the, when the inspired version was written, Joseph wasn't looking at a manuscript and translating no. it correctly. It's more like a commentary. A comment or, or, or being inspired by the right. Spirit, right, to God. We know some very important things were added. I think Matthew 24 uh, completely helps us understand some of the, the things that are coming. Um, but... Circling back to Romans, this is a complete different theology and understanding of grace and mercy and the two sides of God, you know, when the left hand moves, the right hand moves, the two names that show the feminine and masculine qualities, mercy and justice, all of that. This is completely different theology, completely different if you take these two versions. And I've actually heard Restoration preachers in their sermon quote Paul, but they've quoted the King James version of it to make their point. And I don't know if they have just heard it so much on the radio or from mainstream preachers that they think that's what it is, but without reading it in the inspired version, you get a different meaning or, or do you, is it just, uh, Joseph trying to clarify in our language today, what the end result is? I don't know, but let, but listen to how different this is. And this is something this Roman scripture is something that's the very basis of theology in the Protestant evangelical um, movement. It, it it almost fights against the Catholic Church that that you know protesting against the Catholic Church where you were saved by all of these different works and ceremonies and things that you had to do right. So, so listen to this. Um, the King James Version says, "Where are you reading from?" This is chapter seven, and I'm just. I'm reading, it's broken up a little bit here. Maybe you can pull it up, Corey, on Restore Gospel, because I've got the the Joseph Smith translation yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. where it just puts the differences, so I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing. But um, if you've got 
you've got that. By the way, nice new look at RestoreGospel.com. Oh, there's, there's some pretty blue buttons there, oh. and it makes it easier on the on the homepage to search. You can now search King James Version. You can search, oh, boy, we've got to tell them about the exciting news about the Hebrew. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a, a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, we'll probably about. say that one, yeah. Know, okay. There's more coming with that, too. Anyway, yeah. you can search LDS. You can search King James versus Inspired Version. I think it's a handy tool. So you got that? That verse there. Yeah. What, what What are the verses you want? This is from. King Let's James. Uh, start in verse fourteen, chapter seven, in the King James version. Go ahead and just read that for us. So, King James, Romans seven fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I, that do I. Is anyone confused yet? Yeah. So if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Keep going. Yeah, because he's going to repeat himself again. For the good that I... Do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. All right. So <clears throat> basically the King James Version right here is saying um, there's things that I don't want to do. You know, there's sinful things, but I do them. And there's things that I want to do that are that are righteous, but I don't do them. And and he's basically saying, I'm not perfect. You know, I, uh, I continue to sin, but that's the flesh. That's the sin that re- that's in the flesh. But listen to the inspired version. This is different. Starting in verse 13, chapter 7. Um, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin by that which is good working death in me that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. My eyes are already glossed over, but but here we go. For we know that the commandment is spiritual, but when I was under the law, I was yet carnal, sold under sin. But now I am spiritual. Now listen, for that which I am commanded to do, I do. And that which I am commanded not to allow, I allow not. For what I know is not right, I would not do. For that which is sin, I hate. If then I do not that which I would not allow, I consent unto the law that it is good, and I am not condemned. Uh, we'll see if he repeats it here. No more. Now then, it is no more I that do sin, but I seek to subdue that sin which dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But to perform that which is good, I find not only, and here's this phrase, in Christ. So there's a huge difference between the inspired version and the King James version, right? One version says, I continue to sin, I continue to do these things, and but it's not, it's not my will, it's, this, it's my sinful flesh. The inspired version basically says, I no longer do those things because uh, I'm in Christ, so I think, but have have we over, have we over stepped, or have we we added more to that? Because that gives no allowance for for messing up. I I think part of this is 
two things. One, I think there is a translation thing that doesn't even still come out any clearer in the inspired version, but, but from a more of a higher altitude view of this, I really don't think these passages are saying any of that. I, 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 in that, and I'm not trying to say, no, it's, it's something totally different, but the context of these chapters is different. It's still talking to people who are under the law of Moses. Like right. if you go previous and, and latter verses, like grab, grab any of them, verse 21, just reading from the inspired or the King James, but the, the evil which I would not do under the law, I find to be good that I do. Now, if I do it through the assistance of Christ, I would not do under the law. Uh, this law yeah, we're yeah. talking about. Is, this is where we got this weekend, where we kind of left off. I, I, right. This is the law. The, what is he talking what, about? He's talking about the law, law of Moses, Moses yeah. for, for this reason. Most of the New Testament is Paul explaining to people in Jerusalem something the Nephites already understood. That is this whole Mosaic law they had been under pointed towards Christ. And Paul's mission in life is to now tell Jews and Gentiles who had heard about the law, these people, he says, hey, I was under the law, but I'm not under the law. They were saying that when Jesus died on the cross, this law of Moses was done. And and the things that they had to do under the law, um, you know, these things were carnal and, and all these rules that they had to follow. He said, those things were all done away. And he's, he's talking about how the law was done away too. And this law was sometimes called the law of sin as well. Uh, it was a law of works. It was a law of many things, but the whole thing was it pointed towards the justice of God. This was a type and shadow under the Mosaic law to say, Hey, if you don't have Christ and salvation and mercy, what you're going to get is justice. That's why the law was there. That's why the Old Testament was like it was. It was demonstrating the left hand of God is you're going to be punished unless there's an atonement for your sin. And this is how they treated each other. They punished each other. They they poked out each other's eyes if someone poked your eye, right? They, they did these things because God said, this is a type for eternity. When Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, now Paul's saying, hey, now I'm doing this through Christ. All this other stuff is done away. And and so that's the larger message. It's like this was the idea that the whole law pointed to. Jesus was coming to fulfill this law. Most of the people in Israel didn't get it. People in America did get it. That's probably the biggest difference between all, all these groups of people. And so the language, though, that Paul explains this in has been translated, like I said, four times. It was it was spoken in, in Hebrew or Aramaic. It was written in one or the other languages. It went to Greek. It went to Hebrew. It went to English. Finally, but but the language is so clear and pure in the Book of Mormon. We find that these things are explained so well there. When we come back, it's easier to under, understand. I don't, and maybe this is just me. I don't see any of this talking about what, what you, I think you even started out our, our conversation today saying, hey, you know, sometimes the Bible turns this thing, it's un, it's about us and our feelings and all this stuff. It isn't so much that. It's it's more about God and his mercy and his justice and teaching us about things of the kingdom, right? right? And so I don't read... I don't read any of that stuff that, hey, there's no good in me. It's this and that and the other. Well, I mean, that is true in that he's, if he says that, there's no good in me. He's saying there was nothing I could do to inherit salvation. It wasn't didn't come from me. Yeah, towards, <clears throat> as we were uh, discussing this week, uh, I started wondering, because you, you can read the New Testament and, and um, 
you can picture all of this just being your everyday life, Corey. Like after Jesus came, and I know there's a new set of commandments. You know, it's not enough not to hate your brother, but if if you're, you know, not to murder. But if I have bad feelings inside, I hate him. It's not, you know, just about committing adultery with your neighbor's wife. It's lusting after your neighbor's wife. So um, we know there's a different set of commandments or maybe a deeper a deeper instruction on how we're to live. And so there's a deeper way to fall, right? There's a deeper way to transgress the law. Um, and so when you read this and you see that someone's saying, well, I used to do these things, but I came to Christ, and now I don't do them, then you could take that to mean this deeper set of things, which yeah. I just find, okay, so this we're getting... That's where the struggle it, comes, It's right? almost impossible. It's almost impossible. I think you, there comes a point when we all have to get there, though, where we, yeah. where we don't have thoughts that are impure, where we don't have any anger towards... So, you're, you're right, and I just got to throw this in because it's part of this. Uh, the Verse 25 says exactly what you're saying, and I don't mean to say none of this is hey, about no, hey, feelings. I want you to argue me. We're, we're just debating this. Yeah, we're just no, two guys having conversations, so right. if you see something different, but, by all means. But but I I think, I, I don't want to say it's only one part of the conversation, but we got to remember the context was the Law of Moses. But to your point, Jumping down to verse 25, he says, but my members are warring against the law of my mind or the the way I want to be, back up to 24. Now I see another law, even the commandment of Christ, and it is imprinted in my mind. So he's saying, hey, I have these ideas that, you know, I'm supposed to follow Christ, but my, my members, now who knows what that meant, my flesh probably it meant, is warring against my mind. He's, you know, my spirit wants to do one thing, but my flesh is weak. It wants to go the other way. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, this is probably just a way of saying flesh, flesh versus the spirit, right? right? And so that's all it's saying. If I subdue not the sin which is in me, in other words, if I don't overcome the flesh, but with the flesh serve the law of sin, you know, the carnal ways, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ our Lord then that so with the mind I serve the law of God. So I don't know. I think this whole conversation, it's just clarified through so many other scriptures, which are easier to read. I don't, to me, there's nothing, there's nothing revelatory about this passage that isn't clearly explained in black and white in other scriptures that the flesh versus the spirit has always been the challenge. And do you think then that reading the King James version um, is not really so different than the inspired version. No, I, I but don't. Maybe the way mankind has has cheapened it through time. Uh, they've they've because this is a huge. You'll hear this all the time. That's how I became aware of it. I'm like, really? It says it's mankind has cheapened this. We call it cheap grace or whatever. Like you know, like you say, come come to Jesus and say the prayer, but you haven't been changed. So so they use a scripture like, yeah, you continue to sin, but it's not you. It's it's the flesh, you know, and I continue not to do what's right because I'm it gives you an excuse. Mm-hmm. Even though John speaks against, you know, sh- you've been changed, should I continue to sin because of the mercy of God? No. No, I don't continue. Right. But that doesn't mean that you never falter. Is that what you're saying that there's still room for error each day, but that doesn't mean that your salvation is not there. I I th- I lean that way because if it isn't true, then there's hope for nobody because I don't, you know, 
God's plan was to bring to pass our immortality and eternal life. Mm -hmm. And if that somehow only applies to, you know, less people than I can count on one hand, because how many people have gotten through this life really, you know, without doing exactly what you're saying, then, then God's plan even was kind of void in that, that he said, well, I'm going to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of three people, you know, and it's like Moses and, and Jesus and, uh, in, well, I was going to say King Noah. I think he's pretty much true. So, uh, by the way, people, uh, I referenced King Noah several times. He's been brutal. Instead of King Lamoni. And uh, I could have edited that out. I could have edited that out to not make myself look silly. But I knew that having the group of friends that I do, that it would continue to humble me through the months that have come after that. And I have been humbled this week in multiple text messages that King Noah keeps popping up. So I, uh, I appreciate my friends for uh, reminding me of my frailness. <laughs> but anyway, so this is a very, one thing that's evident, I think each one of us, I want to just bring this out, Corey, you have different a different set of tools in your toolbox than I have. You have a different set of talents than I have. People are put together differently and we become broken as we step into this world and are born in different ways. And as we become broken and as we uh, experience the effects of sin, because we're in a sinful world, you and I experience the effects of sin when we sin ourselves. We also experience the effects of sin because other people are sinning, and those things affect us as well. Even if we've done nothing wrong, we are still, still, um, you know, the crimes are being committed against us. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes it's just the sinfulness around us, but we feel the effects of a sinful world. Because each one of us is different, when we read Scripture, you know, if you have a room full of 100 people and we go through this, people are going to ask themselves their own internal questions. And like Andrew Peterson says, there's a conversation going on all day long in his mind between him and himself, Mm -hmm. and you have to really focus on which voice am I going to listen to? So I think in your toolbox, in your engineering mind, and in, in the way it works, that you see things and it's like, let's, this is it. We go for it. And I am I come from a different perspective that probably others do where if I'm not feeling it, if I'm not experiencing it, it's more the artistic side of the brain. If I'm not being moved, then I feel it's not real. Mm-hmm. And you have to be really careful. And I've, I've tried to dumb that down through the years because you don't want emotional experiences to replace the, the, the true spirit. That's how people get into all kinds of trouble, you know, laughing in the spirit and, and twitching in the spirit and all the way down to just the Lord told me this and I'm going to join this group of people or this cult. And it, that's emotional experiences. So you and I read the scriptures and we they affect us differently, but truth exists, it says, independently mm-hmm. in its own sphere. Mm-hmm. And I've been reminded through this COVID-19, when you have so many voices able to speak nowadays through Twitter and through text and through Facebook and through news channels, and it's not just three channels, it's you know 40 yeah. channels and every radio podcast. I know where you're going with this. Keep truth going. Truth yeah. can become so elusive. Exactly. You, you can you read have a, to shut it. You have to decide, I need to just shut this but down and find You can truth. read a, a study that, that's from Stanford, a very renowned 
college, you know, that you would think, okay, smart people know what they're talking about. That will totally contradict another study from another. From Harvard, right? Yeah. And so when you're talking about a virus that's causing life and death, it's like truth's important. Well, (laughs) how much more important is understanding the truth about our eternal salvation? Yeah. And if we believe the Book of Mormon that it says we are put here as a probationary state, a time to prepare to meet God, if anybody says, what's the purpose of life? It's a purpose is to prepare to be in eternity, mm-hmm. prepare to meet God, then it's important what truth is. So regardless of how you and I are put together, when we discuss Scripture, when we discuss all of these, these topics— uh, we can still come to truth, and the Holy Spirit within us bears record that that is true, that yeah. this is a true meaning. Yeah. And so um, I, I was talking to my a counselor yesterday, and, and she, a Christian lady, and she is so wise. I love hearing what she has to say. She was talking about peace. I said, don't you think that a Christian, regardless of everything going around them, and, and regardless of where they're at, they should at least have peace inside. And, and she said, well, how, how do you define peace, and what do you think that is? Do, do you think that's an absence of conflict and struggle still? And I thought about that, and I thought, well, yeah, I guess I, that is what I think, that there's no, that I'm no longer struggling against sin. You know, I'm, I'm sad because of sin. I'm sad because of the world, but, you know, but I've got it down good for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not... That, that was an eye-opener to me that if that's your mark, if that's how you judge whether you're saved or not, you think, well, I should have peace and complete calm in the midst of the storm. Is that a right standard or is it I still have hope and I still believe I'm saved even though I'm still fighting this battle against sin? I'm still feeling a conflict and a temptation and a drawing towards the dark side and I continually focus on the hope and the righteousness. I mean, what do you think? Well, hey— a bunch of things that you said have just triggered some thoughts, but I want to respond to that one right there. So, uh, you know, a few, few people know that years ago I, I learned to fly airplanes and I, uh, enjoyed that very much, but <laughs> I did is a genius. I didn't, <laughs> I, I, I don't, well, my sh- third trip to the moon. I <laughs> thought I was just, <laughs> no, but I, but I, I share this because when I started learning to fly, I, you know, you're flying small airplanes and it's not like getting in the seven thirty seven, you know, and it's, it's, roomy and stable, you know, it's small and it's, it's very subject to turbulence. Even a little bit of turbulence can feel like a lot of turbulence when, you know, you're not secured to the ground. And, and it was when I, I knew I wanted to learn to fly, but then I was at this point in life where I'm thinking, I'm realizing that every time I'm going up for a flight lesson, in fact, I'm just praying for a calm day. I'm praying for a smooth air. I'm praying that it's just going to be just gliding around and, and not having to, you know, fight the airplane and all this kind of stuff because it can be a struggle. I mean, there were times when I would learn to fly um, that if you didn't have your seatbelt cinched as tight as it would go, your head was going to get hit the ceiling of the airplane, you know, as you're flying and trying to, you know, manage oh, wow. this thing. And and while you're reading instruments and navigating and communicating on the radio and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, you can't, you, you're just, you know, feeling nauseous and everything else. It's just like, I remember thinking how th- that I, I realized that I started praying all the time, just praying that I could fly in good weather. I thought at one point it occurred to me, I'm praying for the wrong thing. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm just praying for good weather. I need to just pray to be a better pilot. I need to pray that 
I can fly no matter what the weather. Not that I'm going to do something stupid, of course, but I, I needed to be able to have the skill set that I could face the challenges out there because that's what it meant to fly. You're, you're, I can't control the weather. That's the one thing I don't have control over. I can choose not to fly, but if I'm going to fly, I've got to be able to handle the weather that I'm going to travel through before I get the wheels back on the ground. And so this is the the mindset that I realized had to change. And when I when that changed, I, I love flying because I was at this point, and that was back in training when I was considering, do I really want to finish this? It's because the whole time it was like I was just praying to have peace all the time and never have a challenge in life. And now I realized, no, the challenges are there. I have to have the skill set to deal with them and still feel good about it. And so what when we were talking in our last podcast from Second Nephi, and, and Lehi's talking about the creation of the world. And it's interesting, his perspective. He shares the the fact that he talks about the opposition in all things and God placed the good tree and he placed the other tree and he placed, you know, he was here and then there was the Satan who fell. And then after all these oppositions and extremes are set up, then he says, and I put man in the middle of it in the garden. And, mm. and here it is to choose. And, and what I love, it, it just proves the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. This is the whole struggle that Paul's talking about in Romans. I'm trying to tie all this together right, right. now. Is that, is that he's saying, you know, this? I grew up with this false idea. I was pondering this on the drive here this morning, Mike. This this false idea that somehow God set up this utopia of his creation and everything was perfect. Then somehow Satan came in and muddled it up. And that it was like this plan B had to go into effect because Satan ruined it. And now we had bad things in the midst of good. And I'm realizing, no, that wasn't it from the beginning. God's saying, I created the good and the bad all together. I put it all here. I allowed all this to happen because I put my character in man. And if man's going to have my character, he's going to have to know how to choose and use his agency. And so it comes back to all these things like learning to fly. Like I need to learn to fly through clouds and turbulence and all this stuff because (laughs) this is what weather is, right? By the way, uh, Yesterday was a nice rainy day, and my son was off school, off homeschool. There was no. We took a drive in the rain, and I thought, what better day than to introduce him to Pink Floyd? So we listened to <laughs> Learning to Fly on the radio, among a couple other songs. That's too funny. And it was the perfect uh, music for the ambiance that we were experiencing. But they have a song called Learning to Fly. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Pink anyway. Floyd, that was the first album I ever owned back when you had records and albums. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. There's a. Well, there's a bluegrass version of Time, if you've ever heard that song by by Pink Floyd. And Weston, we just love it. And I, I never thought you could put that song to bluegrass. bluegrass and so we've funny. listened to this on our playlist like, you know, 20 times. And I just stopped in the middle. I said, hey, I said, have you ever heard the original song? It was original. I said, this is a Pink Floyd remake. He's like, Pink Floyd? I'm like, I'm like, oh, son, well, this is a perfect day to introduce you to the original. So we played the original, which led to learning to fly another the right one of my hand favorites. The right hand in the, in the left hand. You've know, yeah, you got I'm, the Andrew Peterson on one, and then you've got the Pink Floyd on the other, right? Yeah. So I'm just giving him an opposition. You're but, right, the opposition uh, to all things. But, you know, hey, so, so to that point, uh, backing up a little bit, Mike, when you were talking earlier about Romans and our desire to sin, and, and is it really that our hearts are changed if we're falling into sin? I think there's a parallel even back in the Mosaic Law because all this was a type and shadow. And what the parallel is was the concept of being clean or unclean. And, and the concept of being clean or unclean was separate than just having sin. You you could sin. You could you could do something against your neighbor that was called a sin, 
but you could also become unclean for not doing anything wrong. Like if, if you or I walked into the house where a dead person was, you know, funeral, everyone in that room was unclean. Well, what happens when you're unclean doesn't mean you're cast out and banished. It meant that you weren't allowed to go into the temple. And what I think, and this is, I could be wrong about this. It takes some study, but I think this idea of being unclean and not going to the temple is a parallel to having God's spirit or not like you're void of it, but being in God's presence. And that there are things in life that you could do to prevent yourself from having the full presence of God. I think that's what we forfeit when we sin and when we backslide is, is, is the point is that, you know, there were certain things, you know, if, if it was a, a woman's uh, menstrual cycle, that made her unclean. If you were in the presence of, uh, you know, a dead person, that made you unclean in the same room. If you touched someone who was unclean, like, you know, you became unclean, you know, certain, you could eat certain things, do certain things. But the whole thing was even good people became unclean. You know, rabbi could be unclean. He couldn't go in the temple until he <clears throat> did whatever the requirement was to become clean again. Sometimes it was just you have to wait until the evening or you have to yeah. wash yourself. And right? that's what brought me back around towards the end of this week. This whole thought process was when I was thinking about what I – it wasn't the active part, but it was like what I don't do or what I need to not do. Well, anyway – in my terms, it was the mosaic law because you would get uh, you would get in trouble not just for doing something wrong, but for not, not doing, doing something. something. Right. And that's where when Paul was saying, that, I was like, "Is this all just directed towards the mosaic law?" And that you know it was impossible to keep that, and exactly. you continue to sin regardless of because there's so many ways right. to and sin. And he's pointing the only resolution to sin was Christ. That right. was his point. And and see, that's where in other scripture they take, they say, hey, it was impossible to keep the Mosaic law. No one could do it perfectly. You just had to make sure that you didn't, you know, you avoided the big sins, you know, the ones that got you, you know, killed or whatever for, um, you know, stoned or whatever. But the the whole point of the law was that it was all these carnal commandments that were too hard to keep. You couldn't memorize them all, though some people did. Um and that there wasn't any solution to it within it. Uh, the whole thing was it needed another solution or we were stuck. And that's the whole idea of the Mosaic Law is that without Christ, you know, life was going to be like that for everyone forever. in a spiritual sense forever. Well, what do you think? So then the inspired version says, but, but in Christ, I am able to do these things. So he's not talking about being able to do the Mosaic Law. It's, it is a different set of standards of sin it wasn't breaking the mosaic law it's breaking the standard set by christ yeah yeah and it's and it's you know in christ and i don't know that he's even talking about in the temporal sense that hey i can do these things i can overcome everything else. i think he's talking about more in the general sense that hey in christ through christ i have the hope of eternal life that's that's why i sent uh-huh. you this scripture 30,000 foot view right the, this whole this whole idea this scripture uh, states, it's this one from, uh, I'm flipping back to it on my phone so I can read it right. This um, From Ether? Yeah, from Ether. Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world. See, that's what I think Paul's saying in Romans. Is That's what Joseph Smith, through the inspired version, is also stating that, hey, it's through Christ that we're hoping for a better world, that we have this hope that all this sin mm-hmm. is going to be removed. Um, so 
even if you're reading the inspired version or uh, to be honest, I like to read, you know, the Christian standard version, or I like to read other, I other read them ver- too. Uh-huh. because I like to hear the English language put in a different perspective mm-hmm. that helps me then go back and look at the inspired version and say, okay, I see what they're saying. It's okay to even read this from those versions. If you, if you tie it into the correctly, to Jesus and the hope in Jesus. Yeah. So speaking of that, I don't know if I mentioned this prior, but the man who wrote this book, his name is one and we, Jeff Benner, right. and we've referred to his works. I emailed him recently and I, and he responded and I, I, cause I wanted to know, Hey, if you could recommend a Jewish Bible, no a Jewish Bible is for Jews. They don't have the new Testament and everything, but, but it's translated from Hebrew into their way of thinking versus the Bible, the English Bibles are translated into kind of the Gentile way of thinking. Um, what what I'm finding in reading this is fascinating. It's in English. They've got the Hebrew and English side by side. But what's fascinating is some of this that comes out that's only proven in the Book of Mormon, but it comes out when you're reading it from the Jewish perspective. For instance, where Abraham is talking to God for the first time. It's in Genesis chapter 15. I won't read it all, but he in the King James, or even in the inspired version, Abraham says, Lord God. You know, why doesn't he just say God or Lord, Lord God? Well, you see Lord God used in the King James in many places, but in the original Hebrew, <laughs> what it is was, those two words, Elohim, which means God of justice, and Adonai, God of mercy. He mm-hmm. was using the two different names. He was referring to God being one. This whole and this this doesn't come through in the English at all, but you get this in the Hebrew text. And and this idea that what the Book of Mormon teaches so beautifully is that these people saw God as as one, and they even address Him in the names, the original names, in a way that. The, the meaning just doesn't come through in the English. So I'm enjoying reading that other translation. I encourage that too for the same reason. Right. It gives depth. Right. Well, we've... Uh, I got to tell you one other thing though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe we can squeeze this in. So remember that episode 60 where we're talking about the name of God and the fact that this El Shaddai, which was a, a name of God, referred to God's ability to nourish. And this was reflected in the fact that in the Paleo-Hebrew, which was a script language used before the actual block characters Hebrew of Hebrew, that the the name of God in that case looked like an udder or women's breasts. That mm-hmm. was it. Now, in this English world, we somehow make this uh, think, oh, well, that means that somehow like God is androgynous or something and has male parts and female parts. <clears throat> no, 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 it wasn't that at all. The The idea to them was it wasn't, again, about the object. It was about the the um, the way it uh, functioned. This represented to them that God had the ability to nourish. And when a child is young, it can live for a year on its mother's breast milk alone because it has everything that child needs. So the reason I share this is because in 1 Nephi chapter 5, there's some scripture that just all of a sudden jumped out at me in a new way. And I used to think it was kind of weird that it was even included. And it comes when Nephi and the people are traveling through the wilderness. And he makes this comment in the earliest version. It's 1 Nephi chapter 5, verse 56, 57. And he says, our women bore children in the wilderness 
so great were the blessings of the Lord upon us that we did live upon raw meat in the wilderness. But then it says this, our women did give plenty of suck. You know, they're breastfeeding, talking about their ability to nourish children. Plenty of suck for our children and were strong, yea, even like unto the men. And they began to bear their journeys without murmuring. Well, what's interesting about this is that he's he's making this comment that the women were able to nourish the children perfectly well through this hard time. Well, what's interesting then is, and this is the first thing that jumped out, is that he then, in the perfect Hebrew method, uses a parallelism. Verse 57 is talking about their physical journeying, but verse 59 parallels it to their spiritual journeying. And he says this, so 57 was just like the women are able to nourish our children. He says, and if it so be that the children of men keep the commandments of God, he doth nourish them and strengthen them and provide ways and means whereby they can accomplish the thing that he hath commanded them. What was beautiful about this is that these words nourish in this context don't appear anywhere else in the Bible. But the pure meaning of that Hebrew word El Shaddai meant to nourish. And that here Nephi is using the language of the interpretation of the name of God to make a physical, to make a metaphor in the physical and a metaphor in the spiritual all reflect God's ability to nourish. The women are nourishing our children and they're, they're strong. Got to make a comment on that. Just like God will nourish you. And again, the true meaning of that was in the Hebrew, in the very script he was writing. He was probably writing that Paleo-Hebrew character of the of the utter, of the breast, when he was writing this name of God, because that's what it meant to them. And, mm-hmm. and how beautiful the fact that here we have Nephi sharing this, and, and no language like this exists in any scripture anywhere else. It, it never in the Bible talks about God saying his ability to nourish and provide the ways, but that's exactly what the Hebrew meaning of this of this word meant. There's one other little piece of this in verse 57 where it said simply, and the women were strong. Remember that uh, talk we had where the Paleo-Hebrew character for the woman was the ox, ox. right, with the wavy water, right? Mm-hmm. And that strong water, that was where the glue came from. But the whole idea of women and that water being strong literally meant women strong and that the woman was the strength of the home. The, the, the father, or no, rather the father was the strength of the home. The woman was the, uh, the strength that bound it together. But this idea where he says our women were strong, that's the actual meaning of the paleo Hebrew for, for mother or woman. And what's also interesting, one other piece of this is about eight times Nephi keeps saying, and my father dwelt in the tent, my father dwelt in the tent. Well, the Hebrew name for man who was the man of God was this picture of an ox next to a tent. The ox represented God and the tent represented the home and that he was the strength of the home. And so every time Nephi is talking about my father dwelling in a tent, it's actually a, a play on Hebrew words, if you will, where he's he's doing a play on words where he's saying, hey, not only did my father live in a tent, but this whole meaning of godly man was represented by a tent and, and God. And, and he's bringing the two together. You know, it's almost mm. like this uh, this play on, on words. And, and I'm reading in the Hebrew literature that, that the, uh, the Hebrews were— we're very, very skillful. You know, in our language today, you know, we might say, oh, well, it has a double meaning or or someone, uh, you know, has, um, oh, there's a word that's escaping me right now. But, um, you know, it, it's not like, uh, uh, well, anyhow, we'll, 
maybe that'll come to me later. But the, but they did that often. And here, so the meaning of the mother is brought out in these verses. The meaning of the father is brought out in these passages. And this whole idea that God nourishes is a, is a beautiful example. And it doesn't exist anywhere else except the Book of Mormon. How, how could it not be true? Well, um, <clears throat> you told me this morning you just wanted to, to get let the tape roll. And we were both... Our minds were going in different places this week, and uh, in some of the same places, I think we've just captured what we do: two guys having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and and we welcome you into that conversation. Um, I appreciate I appreciate your help, Corey. They, uh, I think a picture of you know where I'm at daily. I saw a patient this week, and um, and after I saw them, I pulled into a quick trip parking lot, and I was sitting there filling out my chart and you know doing my thing and waiting for my next visit. And of course, you can't go anywhere now to to do any of that, so I just sit in my car and do it. And I looked over and <clears throat> I saw a, a police car um, parked behind the quick trip, and he was um, maybe having his lunch break or whatever I don't know, or waiting for someone else and. I went in to use the restroom, and I, I was just thinking about him, thinking, man, what a tough job, you know. And I just had this desire to do something nice for him to mm. make his day better. So I just bought a bag of Doritos and a Coke, and mm. hopefully he's not on a diet. But <laughs> but I walked out, and I, I was walking over to his car, and I could see him, and almost the apprehension, like, oh, boy, what's – you know, so the window goes down. And I just handed it to him. I said, hey, I appreciate you and what you're doing. These are <laughs> These are difficult times. And – it caught him by so surprised. Like, I don't even think he knew what to say That's until I had cool. turned around to walk away. And then he said something. I looked back, and his whole face had gone from apprehension to just this, this like, appreciation. Like, thanks. Like, like wow, thanks. Cool? Wow. So he said thanks. And then he said, hey, you, you know, be safe doing what you're doing. So – that's the one side of it, right? And and yet, thirty minutes later, I'm driving on the highway, and here's somebody going forty five in the left lane, and I'm trying to get to my next visit, and just this this anger wells up inside, you know. It's like, come on, you idiot, get over, you know what? And that's that's the battle all day long that causes me to question: Am I a Christian? Am I saved? How can I? feel this way towards my fellow human being, you know, how can I at one point just have compassion and want to be loving to someone and at the next point just want to slap them, you know, for not, not for real, but you know what I mean? So that's where, that's where my mind was at this week, but I want to study the phrase in Christ Mm. and this book that I got bearing God's name. I'm, I'm curious to see where we go from sign. I'm going to read that, but you know, if I say, you know, if Weston comes home from school when he and says, where's mom? I could say, well, she's in the bedroom or she's in the family room. Or or we could say, uh, you know, take take all of your toys and put them in the, bo- in the box, you know, or in the toy box. So we have this phrase being in Christ. And I want to know in the Hebrew or, or in the intention of the understanding originally what what that meant because, you know, Second Nephi, I think, talks about being in Christ and being saved. And so that's like something that's curious to me that maybe we can pick up. Yeah, that'd uh, be sometime. a good conversation. I know we started out uh, at some point, we got to finish, and maybe this will come out after, but we need to finish uh, what was restored and the restoration. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, we, we'll do that next. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Um, Corey, you tell them what we're doing here. Remind us. We're just hoping to walk each other home, guys. Take care now. God bless.
my 